In this episode, we honor George Mueller, one of the co-founders of Color Kinetics, who recently passed away. Plus, we talk with Environment's Director of Technology, Rob Groff, about the parallels between LED's rapid adoption and connected smart buildings. Greetings, everybody. This is the Elevated Environments Podcast, and I am your happy host, Philip Ruane. Sadly, the lighting industry has lost a pioneer in LED lighting. George Mueller passed away on March 24th, uh, 2021. George was one of the co-founders of Color Kinetics, along with a gentleman named Eeyore Lees, and his company created a new and dynamic way to light buildings, coves, and other architectural features by implementing red, green, and blue diodes working together in architectural fixtures. Now, chances are you've seen color-changing applications indoors and outdoors. You can buy color-changing medium-based lamps these days. In fact, I just bought a new desktop computer with a heat sink and the fans, all of them have little RGB LEDs and all of them can change color. It's really neat. It's on top of the Empire State Building. It's lighting up your city hall. It's probably coming to your city stadium eventually. It is everywhere. And perhaps you don't even realize how much a better solution it is than the old way of changing colors outdoors. Before RGB LEDs, the only way to change a color of a building was to put a color film over the high-powered hot HID lamp. And that film absorbed a lot of the light. The beam spread wasn't as tight and controlled. Changing colors with the press of a button was just impossible. You couldn't do it with the old way. You had to hire a maintenance guy to come in during the day and put the films on so that at night it would be ready. But with these digitally controlled RGB lights, you can press a button and you can change the color in the snap of your finger. Or you can start a dynamic color-changing show. George Mueller and his co-founder, Ehor Lees, were among the first to harness the full potential of controlling LEDs. They took advantage of the fact that LED was digital and that each chip is able to work with another chip in an intelligent network. We think that's a legacy worth celebrating, and it's one that has a lot of parallels to today's digitalization of building technology. I asked our own director of technology, Rob Groff, to reflect on his time at Color Kinetics, on the boom of LED illumination and controls, and how it all ties together with today's smart building. So here we are with our director of technology, Rob Groff, at Environments so welcome to the show, Rob. It's good to have you here. Thanks, Phil. Good to be here. So Rob, you did a portion of your career working for Color Kinetics, which was a really trailblazing company at the time. Did you work directly with George ever? What, were, what, what did you think of him and what do you think his legacy in the lighting business is going to be? Well, when I came on to Color Kinetics, it was already somewhat established. Um, I was, I guess I'd consider myself in the second or third wave of growth for those guys. And um, it was, it was pre uh, going public. Uh, and they were adding feet on the street to get the, uh, 
the word out about the technology. So, you know, I certainly wasn't on the uh, on, on the inner circle by any means, but uh, I did get a chance to work with with George. Um, I covered the Midwest for Color Kinetics, and uh, so I had a couple of major metro areas: uh, Chicago, Minneapolis, and and some others. And George came out, especially in the Chicago market, a couple of times. So we got to uh, we got to make calls together. George was a, a very dynamic guy, you know, as these entrepreneurs are uh, They never stop. They're always on and uh, they're, they're always very excited about what they're doing and, and what they have to offer. George was very proud of his company that, that he and Eeyore Lease uh, started. They came out of Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and, you know, they didn't invent the LEDs by any means, but they certainly had uh, a lot of inventions and uh, discoveries on how to make it an effective light source. And uh, it was fun to be around him. It was fun to be around the whole company at the time. It was the kind of company that uh, from the engineering department to the sales and to the administration department, uh, there were always uh, scooters or skateboards uh, running running through the building. So uh, it, was, it was fast paced. It was a very young company. And, and again, I guess the best word I can use is just uh, dy- dynamic. Um, I, I think the the real legacy is in the taking all of the developments surrounding LEDs and putting it all together and being able to control it in a sense that made uh, made the the LED a, a good light source. You know, I know certainly with color changing light, that's such a big part of LED these days, and they figured out how to address individual diodes one by one to create these millions of colors. I think a really cool thing, and that's why everybody thinks about color kinetics, really. Um, So tell me a little bit about the 1990s and the 2000s when LEDs were coming of age or rapidly coming in terms of efficacies when they became commercially viable, did they unlock any opportunities in the market that we hadn't seen before? Yeah. And you hit on the key word efficacy uh, because uh, LEDs had been around since the sixties and there were companies and individuals who predicted that at some point, at some point there'd be uh, an effective light source. Um, but the efficacy wasn't there. And the, the, the key color wasn't there. Red and green uh, LEDs and, and some others were available. But the, the one that was really needed was blue. And right. just like with fluorescent lights, you need a blue arc in order to create white light. And uh, the, the blue LED uh, was invented uh, early in the 90s. And... The, uh, George and Eeyore already were on top of taking, you know, once that was invented, taking the, uh, the LEDs and, and creating uh, a, a viable light source. Of course, color, white, white light uh, previously in theater had been created by the combination of red, blue, and green. And, you know, you, of course, had the incandescent white lights, uh, but with a blue LED, 
being invented, uh, then you could create a white LED, which came early in the 2000s. Right. Then. Were, the, were the fact that these LED technologies were semiconductor materials and therefore electronic, did that, what kind of controls opportunities did that open up compared to fluorescent or HID type fixtures? Yeah, so um, even today we struggle with controlling the LED. A lot of people just want to control it with uh, line voltage, you know, 120 or above, uh, and and that's really um, not taking the best advantage of the of the LED because the LED is a basically it's a computer chip and uh, an electronic component and controlling it as an electronic component is really what George and Eeyore perfected. Uh, the use of pulse width modulation, simply flat, you know, flashing the colors on and off uh, at a certain rate uh, creates a different dim to view. And um, then uh, uh, regulating the voltage to the different colors creates the right combination of, of red, white, and blue. Uh, in, in order to create all those different colors with color changing. But efficacy was always the big issue. And, you know, I, we always sold in the early 2000s uh, when white LEDs were available, we sold them mainly on the future of LEDs because the efficacy uh, curve hadn't crossed where the fluorescent uh, efficacy was, right? So they still weren't as efficient uh, as a fluorescent fixture. So we always looked at those curves and the early adopters mm -hmm. uh, were ahead of the game yeah. and uh, really pushed that the technology into the public view. Yeah. So are there any parallels between the rapid rise of LEDs as a illumination source and today's smart building technology? Yeah, it's it's all about technology and what's what's current and uh, you know wh where the future of that technology lies. LEDs at the time were a major uh, a major invention that allowed us to start looking at the use of low voltage technologies and data driven technologies in very common building practices. So right now what's what's going on is a, a major development in social uh, social technologies, you know, how do we communicate communication technologies? We're we're in the midst of uh, several crises that are, are being noted every day, right? So what happened in Dallas with the power grid is is not that far-fetched for happening elsewhere. Uh, we have a very weak data grid and that has a few answers to it. You know, we, we can create low voltage DC grids instead of AC grids, which would allow our buildings to be independent. So we talk about technologies like PoE, you had a podcast about PoE. Well, PoE is a first step in uh, creating a DC grid. Everything that we do in our buildings now is low voltage, right? Our computers run on low voltage. Our lights now run on low voltage. Just about everything that we use in the built environment is uh, a low voltage uh, signal that can be 
controlled over PoE or, or a DC grid. PoE, again, is a first step. Um, we can create that little DC grid. So that's, that's one thing that's going on is, you know, we have this crisis of power and how it's generated. Uh, of course, all of the, um, all, all of the uh, new forms of power are low voltage, right? Wind power mm -hmm. is low voltage. Uh, solar power is low voltage. And where you lose energy is when you try and convert low voltage to line voltage and then back again to low voltage. Each one of those transitions is very inefficient. And if we can just take wind power or solar power and keep it low voltage and run it straight into our devices, then we're not wasting all of that power uh, and, and energy in those transitions. So that's one thing that's happening. The other ha thing that's happening is, of course, the COVID. And this is what I would call a trigger for taking a very close look and taking all of these technologies that we're using today, or that we're playing with today, and making taking them into the mainstream. Um, where there's a big emphasis on uh, social um, uh, interactions. How do we do that? Do we do it in person? Do we do that on Twitter? Uh, you know, how, how are we interacting with each other? And COVID really pushed that to the forefront, right? Uh, we're learning that we are a social uh, uh, animal. And um, so now we have these building management systems that have been around for quite some time that are very good at controlling all of the different systems in a building. They can control the HVAC, they can control uh, the, the, the lighting, they can control all of these different buckets of technology in a building. Um, but what they can't do is address the needs of the individual in the space. And so one of the things that we're doing with environments, our major thrust is how can we use these technologies uh, to make a better uh, environment for the actual occupants of the, of the space? That's a great point. And that ties into my next question. We're talking about smart buildings and yes, what can be done is really uh, important, but how to make this as tenant centric as possible. What sort of things does a smart building and all these connections allow the tenant? What kind of benefits does the tenant get out of it? Sure. It's more than just changing the lights and uh, turning the temperature up right. and down. <laughs> right. Yeah. And keep in mind that sensors are everywhere and everything that we're talking about is reliant on sensors. The sensors that we put in place allow the systems, the, uh, the building management systems, the smart systems, if you will, uh, to understand what's happening in the space and also understand how the people in the space are reacting. Um, so there are all kinds of sensors there that are out there. The ones that we know and love are motion sensors, uh, light sensors, uh, those types of things. Of course, we all have thermostats um, and barometers, but there are other types of sensors that are out there that that we need to make 
use of and things like cameras. A camera is just a very sophisticated type of sensor. And there are cameras that measure acceleration, depth, direction. You know, there are, there are things that we can, data that we can pull from these sensors uh, that we can accumulate and then we can sort and we can make use of for, uh, for all kinds of things. And data is really the, the, the key, right? So the thinking right now is that there is more data than, than we can possibly make use of, right? Data is being collected from these sensors all the time, day in and day out. Depending on how you set the sensor, you can set it to pull data every second, every five seconds, every microsecond. And, and then you have that data to use. Um, and we'd rather be in a position of having too much data than not enough data. So now once a sensor senses something, then there can be an action attributed to whatever that sensation is. So very simple, again, motion sensor detects someone walks in a room and it turns on, uh, it tells the system to turn on the light. The sensor doesn't turn on the light. The sensor tells something else to turn on the light. And depending on the sophistication of the, uh, of the sensor, that could be a data point or be a simple relay. The other thing to keep in mind is that, and this gets into the science fiction fears, machines can react faster to data than humans can, right? So we can, again, get down to the microsecond. Uh, a, a machine can detect that I'm in the room faster than I can go over to the switch and turn it on. And again, that's a very rudimentary example, but, you know, we're talking about uh, electronic communications that can react very, very fast. Right, right. Well, let, let's talk about some of the trigger points that are going to make people want these smart IoT technologies. I know for the lighting business, I've been around a little bit. I know that when LEDs really took off, the trigger points were they became more efficacious, they became uh, less expensive, and everything around the industry was telling designers and people in the construction business to lower their energy usage, lower their low uh, lighting power density. And so those are just some of the things that cause the adoption of LED luminaires. In terms of IoT technology, what are some of the trigger points? You mentioned, for example, COVID and some of the societal, you know, a weak energy grid. What are some other things that are going to really cause adoption of this technology? I think the the people that are in the spaces are the real trigger point. We know what's available now, and we know what the dangers are in not making use of the data I was just talking about. Um, as we move back into the offices, we're entitled as employees to have a healthy workspace. And so the, the technology itself is a real trigger. It's, it's making us realize that as we start interacting with each other again, what the rules are and how that technology can help us. Everywhere you go, you have a little station where you get your hand sanitizer. Uh, 
Um, in our office, we have several ways to disinfect the air and the surfaces. Uh, we're using UV and air circulation as best we can to keep the space very healthy. We have air quality sensors where I can log on at any time and see what the air quality is as far as the VOCs, the dust, the humidity, the temperature, those kinds of things. So the real trigger, I think, is the recognition that we are entitled to uh, demand that we have um, healthy workspaces as we move back to work. And the, the, the employees um, in any building have the right to know how healthy their building is. And the only way to do that is, again, to get back to the sensors, right? How, right. And to, to collect the right. data. Collecting that data. To, yeah. to be able to show, yep. yeah, for, for management to be able to show employees, our air score is in the low to mid-90s all year long. So there's not anything you have to worry about when it comes to air quality here. And that's just one spectrum. That That's a very powerful thing and it will put a lot of people at ease, I'm sure. I want to talk cost because I know that all this technology has a cost. Is it going to be, I mean, is it way out there? Is it going to be accessible to the average person? How much of this is going to be mandated uh, eventually by legislation? And in, in short, how, how are we going to pay for all this technology? The, the smart answer is, how can we not afford to pay for it, given everything we just talked about and all the dangers that we have today? And, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not, a, a you know, um, the, the world is ending tomorrow or anything kind of guy. Um, I just recognize that we're in the middle of a pandemic and it's not the first and it's not the last. So the cost just has to be born somewhere. So we're at a point in the construction industry where it's very paper driven in during the design phase. Everything is on paper. We have huge specifications and huge sets of drawings um, that are generated in order to build a building. And there are technologies that will get us over that in, in a certain way. Um, there is, uh, of course, we've looking at things like digital twins that allow designers to build a twin of the building that they're designing and be able to not just fly through it and make sure everything fits, but actually be able to pull data from a digital twin prior to that building being built. So there's a lot of costs, a lot of cost savings in that method, but there's a major hurdle to get over from where we are today to really adopting that as the primary way of, uh, of, of building a building. And, and we're a ways off with that. Probably, you know, within the next 10 years, that will uh, be pulling forward. The construction industry is a, is a very interesting industry. We like our traditions, uh, we like our trades, and they're all very necessary, but we do have to find a way to get through that to save some of those costs. The, the other thing is, you asked about legislation, and yes, there is and will be more legislation, just as there is for energy efficiency. 
the well building standard is being pushed forward pretty pretty constantly and it's being revised pretty regularly. We went from a lead building standard to a well building standard, and that shouldn't be overlooked because that the lead building went from sustainability and energy efficiency, and now we're into a well building emphasis, which is more about the occupants. It's more about how the, how the individual in the space is affected by the space. So it, it will be, it will be paid for in some way. I think we have to get a little bit away from the whole three names spec idea, because if we're going to build a truly healthy, effective, sustainable, energy efficient building, sometimes you can't count on that, that low bid. Thank you very much for sitting down with me and talking about you know, both the development of LED lighting and, you know, your time at Color Kinetics during the rise, but also the smart building technology. It's great to have a pioneer with us who's going through this and developing and designing these systems in real time. So thank you very much, Rob. Anytime, Phil. Is there anything else that you'd like to impart upon our audience? Well, I, I think just to emphasize the need for interactive spaces, Right. So we talk about sensors and if we think about it as an interactive space rather than just a static space that we're walking into, how do we interact with the space and how does the space interact with us? I think that's really key. Absolutely. Well, again, I thank you very much for sitting down with me. I know you're a busy guy. We'll look forward to having you back. Thanks, Phil. My pleasure. We hope that you enjoyed today's conversation about how the pioneers in the LED business paved the way for a connected, intelligent, data-driven building. Did you know that Environments is all about helping you design and optimize all of the smart technology in your building? As this technology grows and clients demand these capabilities, we are here to help you. So let's meet up sometimes. Uh, Take a look at our full offering at www.environments.tech. And if you're so inclined, say hello at hello at environments.tech. Drop us a line there. And if you thought today's podcast was interesting, could you share this with a friend or colleague or perhaps leave a review on Apple Podcasts? It does help us out greatly, and we want to spread the word about this exciting technology. Anyway, my friends, that is what we have for you today. We really look forward to seeing you next month for another episode of the Elevated Environments podcast. I am your host, Philip Ruane, signing out.